You've eaten Gotham's wealth, its spirit, but your feast is nearly over. This is not much hole. It's an operating table. And I'm the surgeon. Why aren't you laughing? From this moment on, none of you are safe. Welcome to the Batman Book Club, a podcast that explores the Dark Knight Library. I'm your host, Ryan Lauer. Thank you for tuning in for episode number 42. The Batman Book Club is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by BatmanOnFilm.com. Just go to BatmanPodcastNetwork.com for a whole list of great nerdy shows that we all love to frolic about in our free time. Speaking of Batman on Film, my guest for today's episode that covers Batman Earth One Volume Two is a man that you may know not from Twitter because Twitter does not like him right now, but you will know him from the Batman on Film website as well as the podcast. It is Mr. Minnesota himself coming back for the seventh time. Garrett Grev. Hello, Garrett. I you know what I should do is start a a very like Zaz like uh, system of uh, check marks uh, on my arm, my body, you know, like I just make a little cut every time I come on the book club and my wife will be like, uh, Hey honey, a little bit concerned. Uh, you've been cutting yourself uh, lately and it's getting, you're bleeding all over the sheets. I'm like, well, Ryan needs me on the podcast and so we can't keep track of how many times I've been on unless I, this works for us. Just go with it. Ryan needs me. Ryan needs yes. me, honey. This is important. You know, I am. I am. Uh, I am the uh, the podcast guest that the book club deserves, but not the one it needs. I, I can't ever remember the order needs and not deserve deserves. And not, you know what I'm saying. But anyway, thank you for having me. Uh, it's it's if it, it feels so good to be welcomed someplace because, mm-hmm. as you alluded to, uh, social <laughs> media has not been kind to me. Um, and, and dear listeners, don't worry, I'm not a wacko. I'm not out there trying to overthrow governments or do anything else. Uh, but, you know, be careful when you're on Twitter because the algorithm bots will get you. Sometimes if you are, are trying to make a point and you have all the keywords, uh, they'll zero in on you. So, you know, 20 years from now, when people are trying to re- listen to this episode about um, Batman Earth One, Volume Two, they'll be like, what was Twitter? What is this guy talking about? Just get to this- the book. This is a brainiac story waiting to be written. It really is. He, inv- really he is. just invades Twitter and then it goes from there. It just spreads and it just right, spreads. Man. And I think I just did the math. I said seventh or eighth. I believe this is the seventh. And Mr. Peter Vera has beaten you. Where by, is he? By a week. Oh. Week number seven. So you guys are the seven timers club. Come on. Um, and yeah, you're fresh off the heels of, of that boy. So uh, well, yeah, you guys battling for the top. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to let any cats out of the bag here. Uh, keep those cats right in the bag. <laughs> Cat, get back in there. Uh, but, you know, I, I've already called a number of books that we have to, that I said, hey, Lauer, when the time comes, I'm doing this book. So, you know, I think maybe we can expedite some of those. I like to be in first here. So, you know. You, I mean, when you came on for Earth One Volume One, back in old july of 2020 what a year oh boy uh, remember that one 
Oh yeah, it felt it was about six and a half years ago. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say, it felt you, like a young man back then. You were smart then because you planted your seeds for you're gonna do Batman Earth One Volume One, which means well you got to do Volume Two, and right. then in between then and now they announced Volume Three is coming this summer. So Garrett, I think you're coming back on in the future. So sure, 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 can't wait. Uh, you've, you expressed many moons ago, um, what your favorite Batman story is. Um, if listener, you want to be reminded of that, go back to episode three, Dark Victory, where Garrett tells me and all of us what his favorite Batman story is. But, uh, what have you been reading Batman as of late, aside from what we're about to talk about? You know, I wasn't sure when the announcements went out for DC Future State, if I was going to be... Um, you know, really going to invest a bunch of money or time into it. And not because I, I'm a sucker, you know, I'm a 80s baby, 90s kid, right? So I'm used to the big event. Hey, let's get some money, maybe put out some, man, wouldn't it be great if they did like die cut foil uh, uh, hologram covers again? Like that'd Ooh. be rad. Um, but like normally you can, you can, I'm an easy sell when it comes to the the hype event, right? Yeah. And I just wasn't sure if I was going to be there with DC Future State. I didn't, you know, love the the early reads of what it was going to be. And it just sort of felt like, ah, it might be a waste of time. Especially, like, bold strategy. Kind of tell the audience it's only going to be around for a couple months and then, like, you can forget about it. So I just wasn't sure. However, I've got these two pals. And they review uh, The Next Batman and Dark Detective. I'm like, well, I want to read their reviews and other guys that re- that review. Uh, and I shouldn't just say guys. There's a whole bunch of people that write stuff for Batman on film. And I like to read what they write. And when it comes to comic books, I like to have read the books that they're reviewing so I can, you know, understand what the heck they're talking about. Um, and uh, I, I kind of got intrigued. So I have been really, really, really enjoying. And, and Ryan, thank you so much. You, you came on with our bad brother, uh, Peter Vera to the Batman on film podcast and talked about uh, you with the next Batman and then Peter with dark detective. It's not that I don't love your reviews, Ryan, you're a heck of a writer. I think you're doing a good job. Um, But the dark detective reigns supreme in these DC future state books, in my opinion right now. And I am loving that bad boy, Um, both from just the story that's being told. I think the art's actually phenomenal in it. Um, so I've reread those three first issues of Dark Detective probably three times each. Uh, kind of anytime I have a chance, you know, we get have digital mm-hmm. access and, and, and all that. So if I find myself sitting around and I've wrapped up work, but I'm not quite ready to go to bed yet, I'll go and read it, <laughs> read it again just because <laughs> I, I really am enjoying it. So I'm going to be intrigued to see uh, sort of as, as well done as this is, you know, well, how do we go back to just sort of, the regular uh, detective comics. I want them to, right? I don't want to yeah. stay in this future state forever, but I feel like I'm going to kind of miss it in some ways because I'm really enjoying this run so much. Well, as we discussed on, you did, you extended an invitation to myself and Peter Vera. Um, I think that's the third time we've said his name. Uh, Peter Vera. Peter, Peter Vera. Peter Peter Vera. Vera. Yeah. On the BOF podcast. So we could discuss future state. And I think that's where he dropped some knowledge on us that the creative team on dark detective will be continue or will be the creative team on detective in March when, when it comes back to normal. So that's very exciting to me that the, the duo that have 
produced these great, you know, this dark detective that I had very like, eh, we'll see right. expectations. And they've, yeah, they've, they've nailed it. So that that's at least a very exciting, um, exciting to look forward to as well. It's like future state's going to end, but we've got that coming up right behind it. So uh, very cool. Yes. And also, I mean, I might as well say it now that uh, by the time this episode drops, I think you can check out that crossover that mm. we left you hanging with the last episode on the Batman book club, uh, the straight out of Gotham boys had me on their show to continue some future state talk. So make sure to check them out. Cause they're also a part of the Batman podcast network. Whoa, whoa. It's all connected. Wow. You know, it really is. Imagine that. <laughs> I mean, just zigging and zagging all over the place. <laughs> That podcast, <laughs> oy, oy, oy. Uh, the, 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 um, I listened to that show, by the way. Great. Very, yes. very nice. Uh, when you had the, had the boys on and, uh, the thing that was interesting for me, <laughs> I laughed about it. There's, there's a meme and it's, uh, it's like what it feels like to listen to a podcast. And there's like, um, you know, somebody sitting and eating, I think it's cereal or ice cream next to like a cutout advertisement of three other people like, <laughs> eating cereal or ice cream. Like, you know, like you're one of them, but you're not really one of them. Right. <laughs> yeah. and, and I've always thought that was just such a great, funny thing. Cause I felt that way about podcasts forever. You listen to these people and you, you feel like you're, engaging. these are my friends. Yes, but they're not, you don't know them at all, but I do know you. Guys. You do. So yeah. It's, it's like, it really, it really was like listening to, uh, listening to a conversation that typically you would be in. Mm-hmm. And just like, um, you know, like you're a ghost. <laughs> like, what do you mean? You, these guys, they're not responding. I'm talking out loud to them and they're just not responding. Can you not hear me? Can you not Peter. see? Me? Peter! Yeah, Peter! exactly. Eric! Eric! Come on! Yeah. He's a snob though. He'll, he'll act like he's not, he doesn't hear you. Oh, uh, you know, that's those New Yorkers. They're tough oh, sometimes, man. Especially it's just that a, guy. Not, not like us down to earth Midwesterners, you know? Oh, yeah. We are the, the heart and soul of the USA. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so let's get to talking about this Batman Earth One Volume Two. Oh yeah, that's, by, what, that's what we're here for. That's right. That is, yeah. Uh, written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Gary Frank, and colored slash inked by the one and only Brad Anderson. It was oh, released boy. in July of 2012 in a hardcover format. It had been uh, reprinted and released in a trade paperback. And it's available digitally. However, this volume two is not available on the newly refurnished DC Universe Infinite. Um, So for this episode specifically, Garrett, which version did you read? I've got, I'm just checking it because um, I'm looking for when it was published. I've got the original hardcover. 2012. Um, And so I thought this was 2015. (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah you're correct i apologize so t- okay so so 2012 was volume one Volume one yes they were there's a three-year gap then volume two and we That's were right. going to be coming up on a six-year gap oh my god i'm so sorry i hear i thought i did my homework so one three six it's just so that, so we'll get volume four in 12 years so yes. it'll be like what 2033 <laughs> jeez yeah. okay this this story will wrap in uh 2057 yeah <laughs> yeah um, i can't wait i can't wait so look it's gonna forward. be it's gonna be good it's gonna be very good yeah so uh thank you you can you know let's switch roles you can be the host now because i've failed <laughs> so, t- take it away no uh, uh-uh. i sadly 
So I bought this as soon as it came out. Read it. I remember actually I had a lunch break and I, I took it to, I went and got it and the day of its release and then went to Taco Bell and ate and started reading this at a Taco Bell on my lunch break. Uh, and then it was killer that I got halfway through it and then had to go to work and sure. I had to wait until, you know, the rest of that shift to, to I got, I got home and I could finish it. But um, I bought the hardcover, but it is in my storage. And thank you to this pandemic we're in, I was not able to go and get it and get it out of storage. So thankfully, the Hoopla app, yet again, oh, saves you love it. the day. I love the Hoopla app. Hoopla, digital, look it up. Uh, so I read it digitally, which also works out okay because I can screen grab some things that I like and that helps me take notes too. Uh, oh yeah, this this image here for you know the talking point, talking point. So that's the version that I read. Now, did you read this? Did you get this as soon as it came out? Was that the first time you read it? Like right? When yeah, it yeah. As soon as it came out, and then it sat on my shelf, um, oddly enough, for a very long time. What? And yeah, it did. I I I got it right away, and I didn't read it right away. Uh, I don't think this is gonna be. This is gonna sound insane. I don't think I read it for two years after I got it. You, so you bought it and yes. then said, okay, I have it. No rush. Yeah. Yep. Okay. I mean, yep. we've all been there. I don't know why, Ryan. Well, I think it hell? was, I think it was because we had seven children in, oh, yeah. in oh. that period. <laughs> we did it, but we had for sure. We, we definitely had, we definitely had two kids in that period of time. And then um, I think quite frankly, I just had forgotten about it. And, I was, um, you know, kind of all systems go on uh, reading kind of what was getting currently published in Batman comics. Not that this wasn't current, but mainline Batman title. Um, and around the same time, I was really <laughs> tracking down some back issue runs to fill in um, both in Detective and Batman. And then I was hard at work at an Uncanny X-Men <laughs> chunk of mm. books that I was trying to fill in. And it was sort of like, got it, busy, put it away, forgot about it, and then read it, um, I think, for the first time in 2017. And I'll say this, we talked about it. If anyone wants to go back uh, to, the, to the Volume 1 conversation, I wasn't the biggest uh, Volume 1 fan the first time I read it. I've grown to really enjoy that book over time. And, um, but I think by the time that volume two came out, I probably had only read it maybe twice, you know, front to back. And I, I just, I, I don't know that I was quite ready to give my heart away to another chance at, uh, at, uh, earth one Batman, but I sense, you know, I read it and I've read it many times. I've, I've probably outread volume two compared to volume one over the years. And I'll share, I'll share more of my thoughts around maybe why, as we get into it more. So I re-listened to our Earth One conversation actually to just because it would it, it was good prep for this of maybe some points that we brought up last time around that carry over for this and everything. And I thought we had a very good discussion. I think we were uh, very fair in some of our questions and maybe a little bit of our, our critiques. But actually, upon re-listening to it, we both actually, like listening to us talk about it, we spoke like very positively actually of the book we were just you know this part here and this part here maybe that didn't work as well as we'd want it to and some of this we were questionable 
on, but we also like, we talked about the things that we really liked in it. It's not like it was, we came right out. Yeah. Well, this is stupid. Yeah. This one sucked. And, uh, John's a snake. And he, you know, all that, none <laughs> of that. We like, it was, it was a good conversation. Well, Ryan, you know me. Yeah. I am. Uh, I am almost unhealthily preoccupied with being polite. Uh, it is, <laughs> it is true. a, it is a horrible affliction that those of us in the state of Minnesota suffer from. And, um, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, you and I, like in the dudes we, we, we spend a lot of our, our geek time with, we're really enthusiastic about stuff. Like when we like it, we really like it. And I'd love to love things. Yeah. Same. I really do. I prefer, it's, a, it's a Midwest thing. You know, I go out we of my way. To love. <laughs> yes. I go out of my way to try to like things. And, um, it, and I didn't have to try to love, um, volume one. I didn't have to try to like it. I do like it, but for me, as a Batman fan, I am used to sort of gushing incoherently about how much I love something. So, um, you know, when you, when you get a, a title or a run that gets reviewed and you actually have like, ooh, I have thoughts and let me talk about this stuff that I liked. And here's why maybe some of this other stuff didn't work as well. Sometimes I come away feeling like, oh my gosh, was I just rude to this book? Like, well, <laughs> you know, like you, I listened to your um, past episode uh with with our bat brother javi on rip i am not an rip fan it was a really nice conversation because um you know he brought up some things that i you know haven't really thought of i don't know that i agree with them but it was very interesting to hear um the approach and i think you balance it out nicely so there's a ton of value in podcasts that do those things in fact i think a lot of times that's better than just listening to some dorks but oh my gosh it's so great it's batman it's so awesome i love it all so much at the end of that r.i.p episode i probably felt like you did at the end of the earth one volume one where i was like man Javi, was it just all negative did i just sound like a grump and i was so bad but it was a good conversation and it's it was good to have that with somebody who really really likes the book because then he can help me think of you know connect some pieces of well i took it this way and see if that helps helps me either way if that moves me you know more positively or maybe a little bit more negatively so um i was spent at the end of the rip conversation uh but props to uh javi trudio you know what i'm saying but for earth one volume two there while there were decisions from the first volume that i was like i don't know about that i don't know about that i instantly really liked this volume and i liked it more and i still like it more than the last one and it's one that i've reread a lot i don't just flat out pick this one up and read it usually if i go to the earth one universe i read volume one and then volume two I don't think I ever do just one of them on their own. I'm like, come on, it's not a huge time commitment for either one. So let's just read them both. But I, I have, I've enjoyed this one more every time that I've read it. Yeah, I agree with you entirely. And I'll say when I bought it, it wasn't like I put this thing on the shelf in the plastic, right? Uh -huh. So I gave it a flip through and then just never got around to like really going through it front to back. Mm -hmm. because i mean it's gary frank you got to see the artwork oh my gosh and i love you know i am one of the i'm not afraid to get on social media when when i have access to it and tell <laughs> people how much i love jeff johns no matter what like mm -hmm. the man's a the man's a, a really good writer mm -hmm. he was doing a distinct thing uh on volume one 
um, volume two, I've, I've grown to really love the story and I, and I, I, I enjoyed it more. I'm very much aligned with you more than I did volume one, the first time I read it, but like immediately, what did I have to see? I had to see this artwork cause it's, it's so ridiculously gorgeous. It's just yeah. so good. It's so good. And, um, it is the, it is a book that I, uh, will typically go back to in a two-parter. They're not always back to back, but I'll read one, maybe give it a day. And over the course of like, Oh, you know, maybe within a week I'll read part two because I think uh, we talked, I re I re-listened to um, most of our, our, our volume one conversation. And the thing that we talked a lot about was there's a very cinematic quality uh, to these books, both in the way that John's writes them and Frank's, uh, you know, wonderful artwork, you know, very realistic, very detailed, but there's a cinema cinematic storytelling element to it. Mm -hmm. so they really do play a, as like direct sequels. I mean, I think of these as sequel books more than like issue one and issue two. And obviously, yeah. you know, sort of the time between <clears throat> volumes has an impact there, but like the continued story of, we've set this stage, we've developed this world. And now in the sequel, we get to play in it more and the playing in it, once the ground rules and characters are established, is very freeing. Um, where in Earth One Volume One, I think in some ways you spend a lot of time and mental energy as the reader saying like, oh, hold up, um, how is that this bat universe different than what I'm accustomed to? And okay, it's going to be like that over here now. And okay, this Batman's not very good at his job. And what's up with Alfred? Like you spend a lot of energy, like understanding what's being served up to you that there isn't as much energy left to just consume. And when you get to volume two, a lot of that's out of the way. And it's just kind of time to enjoy. Yeah. And I think that's, you mentioned that this plays as like a sequel well, let's hop right into the story here. There's between an exchange. I mean, we can already assume from the beginning, but then the actual dialogue between Bruce and Alfred, they do mention that it's been six months since Alfred shot Mayor Cobblepot, which was the end of volume one. Yeah, so not controversial at all. No. Um, but that, that happens like six months ago. So we we're establishing now that the, it makes me think of, you know, the dark Knight. I feel some beats in this story are influenced by the dark Knight, to where the, the myth of the Batman, the let, you know, it's, it's building and no, we're not getting, you know, he's not uh, charging shit to his Batman forever card or anything like that in public, but it's like, there's more stories of, of this Batman. And the, the book opens up with, you know, similarly to, you know, volume one, except in volume one, you know, Batman took a, took a leap and he failed and here he succeeds in his, in his quest. Well, hold on. Let me, let's talk about Batman first and then we'll get to the actual opening. Batman's opening here. Um, you know, he's chasing down a villain. He makes the jump. The last book, he didn't make the jump. And then not only that, he takes out like seven guys or something. So we're seeing, from the get-go, this this Batman that is still developing, but he's a lot further along than, you know, he's getting there. Yeah. He's perfecting it, his craft of what he wants to do. 
beating some ass. Well, right away, you notice the differences, right? And I wonder, I wondered this, you know, 2017 when I, you know, probably sat down to really read it the first time. Um, The opening right away, the first thing I thought was like, I wonder if John's had this opening to volume two planned when he wrote the opening to volume one. Because it's, it's like the companion piece of, like you said, jump off the roof in volume one. Fingers are about to get the edge and he just missed and take a big tumble. And this, what's he do? He lands it. Uh, he sticks it. You know, the, the, I think the caption on that panel says, you know, Batman is real. And then he just goes to work, right? Like kicking butt. And I mm-hmm. thought like right away, I'm like, this dude had to know this was going to be a storytelling trick right? Because immediately you understand this is a Batman. The suit's a bit different, Um, you know, just a bit. I think the the emblem and some of the stitching, the the cowl looks a little bit different. This is a Batman that's grown since we saw him last time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very clearly. uh, And it was just such a really nice, kind of smart um, and not like super elusive. Like you don't have to be um, an intellectual to see this and understand, you know, what the what the mechanism at play here is, but like smart and simple and really well done to say this, this is our guy. He's becoming more of the dude you're used to seeing here. I got, I don't know if I've ever thought of this before, but I got a quick little, to me, I thought it was a nod to year one in the one crook that like, that it starts to fall off the roof and Batman goes and grabs him. Like that makes me think of year one where one of his earlier nights and it's uh, these, these guys trying to steal a TV or something. He jumps down and starts to fight him. And one of them starts to fall off and he grabs him. Right. And, th- and then yeah. it costs him like his leverage. And so then he gets, you know, then he gets beat up by the crooks. But that's, that made me think of that. I have no idea if John's, you know, was trying to allude to that or anything. But I think what, what I like here though, is we get all that in these panels that are perfectly illustrated by Frank and then then we lead into oh it needs to be a car chase in which batman hops into his very normal average car but cannot can't catch the crook can't catch up to them which then plants the seed of like i need i need a car chicks dig the car off i need a car right exactly and then that's where our and you know that's where we get lucius fox which by now we're all very familiar with it that's bruce's right hand man and getting him the gadgets that he needs but lucius in this story is like he's down to like two pages i think and that's it not much time spent on lucius but i basically my point in all that was just i like that that plays into from the get-go just plants that seed of like a tease that hey he needs a well, why would Bruce Wayne need a new car? Oh, because the Batmobile is coming. Yeah, totally. The, the other thing I really like about this open too is um, you sort of like, it's nice to see, you know, one, Batman and Bruce are progressing in their mm-hmm. skill, in his skill set to, to, you know, pursue the mission. But also it's like, you sort of see what the role Alfred plays in this. And he's, yeah. He's letting him know where the enemies are, how many people are left, where they are, so that, you know, uh, Batman, who is not the the peak Batman that we're used to, has a fighting chance, so to speak. But it also reminds us that, like, this Alfred is, is like, not afraid to kill a dude. Because, one, you mentioned, you know, how things ended with Mayor Cobblepot. But in this, it's like, 
why did you let that guy, why did you stop and, and save that guy? You could have let him drop, be one last thug to worry about or drug dealer or something on the street, something, whatever he says. It's like, yeah, no, no one's dying here. And so there's a very, uh, very smart, very quick kind of shortcut to remind the reader that this Alfred is a, um, this is a wartime soldier Alfred. Mm-hmm. So you sort of get this um, progression on Bruce and a reminder on Alfred about, you know, the, the lines, they're not quite aligned on, on how far is too far here. And that becomes something they talk more about throughout the, about, throughout the volume. Yeah. That's kind of what it, I mean, our, it's something to touch on right here. It's just that relationship between Bruce and Alfred and how it's evolved and is evolving in this volume because they were batting heads batting butting heads butting heads throughout you know the last volume basically from beginning to end and their their idea like their ideologies were you know were battling against each other and here they're a little bit more of an understanding but there's still some kinks that they've got to work out and right up front is that alfred like what the hell's wrong with this guy kill him that's basically he's just like just kill him bruce what are you doing kill him kill him and bruce is putting his foot down and like no that's not how that's not how i'm gonna be that's not how i do and i like that their relationship has evolved but it's still it's like it's still which maybe that's a good thing i guess depending on how many you know if this this storyline is going to go until 2056, you know, we've got a, we've got time to get there, but room for growth. Exactly. It has not evolved into the, as, as I've said before, like Alfred being like a warm blanket, you know, like he is relief on the page or on the screen, you know, when he enters, when he enters the cave after uh, Batman comes, comes back or something, you know, and we're far from that in this book. And I don't know if, I said evolving, but I don't actually don't know if their relationship even evolves that much in this story. I think they they kind of stay kind of how they are at the beginning. Yeah. There's not a ton of progression between the two, which is, you know, if you think about the role Alfred has played over the years in, you know, the normal continuity of comic books, Mm -hmm. I think there's been times where he's been portrayed as more of this father figure for Bruce and other times that, you know, certainly when he was introduced that that really wasn't the role of the character for a long time. Um, but in, in sort of modern comic books, there hasn't been a ton of evolution in their relationship. Um, you know, in, in the, in, in previous, uh, you know, the Nolan movies, for example, you see Alfred change a little bit from, from the first to the second, but Alfred has kind of played the role of a constant in Bruce's life. Yeah. So if in this interpretation, the constant is Alfred is challenging Bruce to be as necessarily aggressive as he sees is required by the situation. Yeah. It almost serves to reinforce the the morality of this Bruce, right? It's a very ugly Gotham in a number of ways, beautifully illustrated, but like, super dirty, super corrupt. So it almost is kind of nice to have Alfred, <laughs> surprisingly enough, be the, hey, I'm, I'm on your side, but I think you should get your hands dirty because it allows us to have Bruce reinforce that, no, the city's dirty. I'm not the dirty one. 
I can't clean it up by getting dirty. It's it, it, you know, I think from a storytelling standpoint, it's a tool that works. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, if we're so used to that warm blanket, fuzzy feeling, I think John's, he established when he set off writing, you know, entering this Batman earth one universe that like, well, that's a relationship that's going to be a little bit different than what we're used to and what we're accustomed to. And cause that's the story that he wants to tell. So uh, I don't, I, I didn't enter like this volume of looking for a Michael Goff or Michael Caine impersonator. You know, I felt like a continuation of the, of the, the character that we had last go around. And I mean, that, that remains true. It'll just, it'll be interesting to see if this is, if it's set in stone now, this is what it is from here on out, or if there's something that it's going to work toward later on, you know? And I think that could be nice, right? Like, I think, um, that further development and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe who knows, like, I'm I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, um, put on the ball cap and be John's, but if there is something that, that brings Gordon more, or sorry, Gordon, Alfred more aligned to Bruce's perspective, that could be an interesting storyline to continue to pursue. Well, I think you knew where I wanted to go next because you just said his name. Hmm, um, could it be? Jim, Jim Gordon. Jimmy boy. That guy. So where he starts off in this story with Batman, their relationship has evolved for sure. Taken more steps than Bruce and Alfred's in that they're starting to be what we know Gordon and Batman to be of Batman meets him at crime scenes. Um, there is no bat signal yet. There's a hacked uh, cell phone or a, or a, yes. yeah. Yes. An encrypted uh, cell phone, I should say. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What did they call? Oh, uh, what did they, what did like, they a call burner? Like, a burner. There you go. Yeah. yeah. It's like a bat burner. And he even, he even put a bat on it. How adorable. I know it was cute. <laughs> well done, Bruce. Um, but I like the way that they established that and, and how Gordon, Gordon goes, he's talking to, to Batman and uh, he looks over his right shoulder and Batman's gone. And then, you know, cause that's what we're expected to of like Batman just disappears. And then he looks over his left and you see that Batman's like, over here, I'll see what else I can find out as he's creeping out of the, <laughs> so out of the room. Like, I don't know if that's intended humor, but I find that funny. I think I've no, always found that funny. I think that's great because, okay. I mean, it becomes a trope, right? Like the superhero can disappear even if they don't have superpowers, particularly around Batman. Mm-hmm. And this is still, although he's, he's better at the fisticuffs and he can jump further, this is a Batman that is not yet you know, prime Batman that could pull off something like that, disappear into thin air. So it's fun. It's a fun little turnaround in my opinion. Yep. I think it's, that's good. Uh, Lastly, we got a brief, brief flashback glimpse uh, in volume one of Bruce and the Dents. Harvey and his sister, or the twins, Harvey and Jessica Dent. Jessica Dent is now a mayor. And Harvey is the DA that we've all uh, know and love. What we got a glimpse of the last go around was that Harvey did not like Bruce when they were kids. Bruce and Jessica were friends. Harvey, because Bruce's mom was an Arkham, um, he, Harvey quickly said, Bruce used to be an Arkham. You can't trust him. I don't like you. And that carries on into this story. 
Now yeah, man, that dude can hold a grudge. Yeah, right. Uh, there's almost like a little to me, a little like year one long Halloween dent cranked up with quite a few notches of yeah i know this guy he's so bruce is pissed because it seems like these crooks that are getting arrested under dent they're getting set free and bruce doesn't understand that we get a little bit from harvey that harvey he's basically using these small the small fish to catch the big fish that's why they're getting they're uh getting out free or going free so we know that Harvey, like, he has good intentions, but he totally comes off as, like, an angry dick. Oh, man. So much so. <laughs> so much so. I mean, he is a thoroughly unlikable character mm-hmm. in, in, the, in this, you know, rendition. And, you know, I think most readers are familiar with Harvey Dent, maybe a little bit full of himself. Almost, I mean, you know, he very self-assured, very... Um, uh, proud of himself, both in his quest for justice and also like, oh, I'm a handsome dude. You know, like there's always been a bit of that to to Harvey. Um, this gets dialed up a bit much. And I would say if I had a critique of this book and sort of like, ooh, what character take doesn't quite work, just straight up jerk face Harvey <laughs> isn't, isn't, didn't work for me as much as some of the other twists on characters or, or reimagining. Possessing the face of a jerk. The right. jerk face. Yeah, just so punchable. Yeah. Yeah, he's just, he's very aggressive. Uh, I, th- like, I guess and, that... And kind of, and kind of I, mean, I don't know if it was the intention, kind of creepy with his sister. Like, that super yeah. overprotective, like, hyper, you know, um, uh, paternal, you know, oh, this is my, so you can't talk, like dude, you're, you're creepy. Your sister doesn't need your permission. Like that's, mm-hmm. you don't have ownership over this, this, this woman in your life. It's your sister, man. Like just chill out. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of her, while he is like over, overly angry, she is almost, I feel like not mean enough to be the mayor in the sense of she does seem very, very nice. Super that's nice. And a bit not, naive. That's kind of, yeah, that's not to be like totally cruel. I mean, but the mayor of Chicago is like is this woman that is like five foot one, but good God, nobody don't ever challenge her because she will beat your ass. No, she's terrifying. When she did when she was doing like the uh like the like in 2020 early on and she was doing the press conferences for like COVID and stuff, it was just like Yes, ma'am, whatever you say, ma'am. Like, and that's not, I'm saying that positively, not negatively. And I'm like, that's kind of like a mayor of, I'm not here to make your lives awful, but just know, like, I'm in control. I put my foot down. And Jessica Dent just kind of doesn't seem that way. She seems like a very nice lady, but just kind of, yeah, like you'd said, of like naive. And we didn't need to know her really for the story of the last volume. Uh, she's really thrown into this one as kind of, you know, a, a pretty key player. Uh, she's pretty like important to Bruce and, you know, they relight their little love flame and they're all flirty, flirty. And she kind of recognized of kind of like 
something we touched on last time around was about the the Waynes being good people. Well, she re reinforces that here and kind of early on when she goes and visits Wayne Manor and says like, you know, your your parents were good people trying to help the city. Like we need the Wayne name to help in this fight of, you know, against criminals. So I think she's definitely essential in the story. And I do like her as a character. Uh, so I don't know exactly where I was going with that as if I was about to say that she sucks. That's not what I was going to say. It was just... No, no, I, I'm with you. I, I, I think, I think Johns is doing something intentional here. Yeah. It just doesn't work as well as maybe, you know, he had in mind mm-hmm. or wanted it to. But it, it's clear to, to me, at least the way I interpret it, is, you know, these two dents, the twins, are really two, two sides of the two-faced persona, even before we get into that, yeah. it, it, later in the story. But you have, you know, two opposite sides of the coin, so to speak, of, ah. of, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> of Jessica and Harvey, where Jessica is, is, is very nice, very trusting, uh, wants to do the right thing, might not go about it um, uh, the most. Um, she's not a shark in how she goes about yeah. it, right? Yeah. And then on the other side, you have Harvey, who's just a straight-up jerk. You have Jessica, who really likes Bruce, um, you know, has romantic feelings for Bruce, but, like, is trusting of him and thinks he can be a source for good. And then Harvey who hates Bruce and thinks he's just the worst thing around. Right. So that dynamics kind of set up and I, I, I get it. I, I get the mechanism, the lever that Johns is pulling here. I just don't know that um, it allows either character to be developed enough independence of the other, mm-hmm. which I think if you talk to twins, like I had buddies that were growing up, that were twins. You kind of hear that, right. They get thought of as a group. It's the twins, you know, it's always the twins in class or in sports yeah. or even family dynamics. They kind of get lumped together. So maybe that's intentional and it's actually better than I'm giving it credit for, but reading it through it, it feels like neither get as much like they're not as fully humanized as maybe you would want characters to become. Yeah, I get that. And maybe in which we'll, we'll come to this, come back to this in a little bit, maybe because that's, more for what's next yes uh but yeah i think i i agree with you totally and i may that might be because johns has really packed so much into this book because look at how like who all we've talked about so far and we haven't even gotten to another one of the main players like he's he really did pack a lot into this book and so i think I think the dense Jessica got more screen time than Harvey did, but yeah. maybe that was a nice switch up because we've gotten Harvey Dent a lot in stories, including one of the greatest stories of all time, the long Halloween. So do we definitely need more Harvey Dent when we know what is probably coming? Like, I don't know. It works the amount in here, but yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to see what is coming next. Now, before we get to... Well, one thing I would say too, sure. before, before we move on, I think it's a kind of hallmark of what Johns did in the Batman Earth One stories. And you know, 
into a lesser extent what a lot of the earth one titles did is but batman in particular in earth one is almost designed to subvert expectations in some very key ways yeah that's a good point and having harvey not be the main character in this story but the focus Mm -hmm. be on his sister and then when we get into you know how we have a you know potentially a two-face in this world completely kind of changes from what you would anticipate seeing in 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 a two-face a traditional two-face oh yes now before we get to the question mark man i also want to touch really quickly on the catching up on gordon and bullock dude because his bullock i think is you said we haven't talked to, about one of the major players. I'm like, we've got really three. You know? Yeah. You've got uh, uh, Killer Croc, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got Bullock. And then we haven't talked about Riddler yet. But um, Bullock is, I think, as well written a character in these two books as you can find. From a story, from a, I mean, next to Bruce and his development, you really have a ton of character work going on with Bullock and that's that shines through it's it was it it was I really enjoyed seeing where where Johns took the character and how he kind of picked up on everything that happened in, in volume one yeah he's he's just reliving that I mean we cringed looking at still images of a comic book of what was happening and in mm. that world he fell on the bodies and made them snap crackle and pop like what Mm. <laughs> like i i think him you know him spinning out of control well i guess i wouldn't say spinning out of control but like he's just like reliving it and he just went like that i don't know how to really say he's drinking <laughs> oh yeah that's, that's what helps and it you just i feel for the guy and i remember telling you for like the the first book of I liked him, even though he definitely came off right at the beginning as kind of like, you know, this arrogant showbiz uh, douche. I think that, yeah, that was the word douche. But then you, but then we saw these moments of kind of like, well, wow, he's taking the step, the right step. And Gordon's kind of turning a blind eye to it. And so that's what really won me over with Bullock in the first book. And here you're just kind of rooting for him because it's not like he's trying to be evil. When we first see him, he's uh, wasted in a bar and you're not annoyed by it or by him because then he reveals to Gordon that there, you know, there's, there's a dude over there shooting pool that he's going to take out because that guy beat his wife and his kid last night. And like, Gordon, we can't just let that guy go. And then Gordon's trying to say no, because, you know, basically, I don't know. Yeah. He's one that's covered by dent and because, yada yada and bulk's kind of like, i don't give a shit the guy beat his wife and beat his kid since when are we gonna turn our backs toward that you know and so it's kind of like oh bullock i missed you here you are i love you <laughs> so let me get him a shot of dew okay take the whiskey give him some dew. <laughs> right well, let's turn this around and though he doesn't have as much i mean i don't think he has as much to do this go around as as the last he still has you know he still has an arc he still has a hurdle to get over that he eventually gets there um and then it's kind of sad where we're left at the end but i don't think that's gonna last very long yeah i think the thing about bullock here is um 
you continue to see glimpses of like, this guy has a good heart. He may have been arrogant, but that's been all stripped away from him. And I think that's the key dynamic is um, Gotham has broken this man. Mm-hmm. And was he too high up on his horse before? Yes, he was entirely. But now he is down in the muck. But the thing that hasn't changed is he has this sense of right and wrong. Yeah. And even if it is a bit foolish in how he goes after it, particularly if you're just absolutely hammered uh, and you think it's nighttime, but it's actually 10 a.m. because you're just on a bender for so long. Yeah. He still has um, this sense of right and wrong and, 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 and the desire to make sure justice is served, even if it comes with a pool cue across the head uh, instead of, you know, following police procedurals and what the DA says you should do. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Harvey, Harvey Bullock, two for two, this guy. Now I slipped my mind, even though I had it written down in my notes, uh, Waylon Jones. Yeah. You heard man. of him? He's the monster living in the sewers. And we even get a, so that was fun too at the beginning is, you know, using that little tactic to help push the story along. And we do see a, a newspaper during the car chase from the, the Daily Planet you know, Gotham, City of Monsters, and there's like a, you know, it looks like it's a man bat and then looks like a, a crocodile dinosaur. On that page, a couple pages, or a couple pages later is another, is a Gotham Gazette paper that's flying around. It's a city worker attacked by a killer croc. I mean, we already knew looking, I think on the back of the hardcover is a picture of killer croc, or am I wrong? Uh, not he's on the back of... He's partially on the front. Yes, there's okay. the sort of... Um... Uh, face with four intercut faces making it up the third mm-hmm. of which is 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 killer croc okay so and then if we read the synopsis like we knew killer croc was going to be in the story but these are nice little nice little teases because the car drives by the newspaper is flying up but then we see by a sewer a sewer drain of we see the eyes of killer croc so we know killer croc's coming and in this story and i actually <sighs> I don't not like Killer Croc as a character. I just kind of feel it just depends on the story and how they use him. Because in Batman the Animated Series, they used him as, you know, they, he was kind of scary as a monster, at, you know, at first. Um, and then he had it out for Bullock. And then uh, in the almost got him they played him off like he was like an idiot you know so it's kind of like depends on what the story is but they found a a way now i think of you know he's a mobster but that doesn't really i don't know it i don't just want him as a monster in the sewers because then how much can you do with that i don't want him necessarily as just a mobster all the time because we have mobsters that there are good stories about in Gotham city. So it's almost like a, I feel sometimes, what do we do with killer croc in this story? I like what they did with killer croc. Yeah, I agree. Cause I think killer croc is one of those characters that can get too easily defined based mm-hmm. on his sort of freakish, you know, other status, right? Like, He's a monster. He's bloodthirsty. He eats people. Oh, he, you know, and that's fine. That's fine. It plays, that plays a, uh, a good role in some, in some stories. I think like killer croc, the way he's using the Arkham games is like yeah. really, you know, like this terrifying. Scary. Yes. It's great. You can employ it really well. 
but like to get to the character you have to get to get a lot of like pathos which you don't always want with your villains right it's a chief criticism of marvel movies but i think it goes a long way in in understanding the mind of the character if you think about like the abnormalities and the deformities um being part of someone who's actually you know scary but benign um you can kind of talk about make that a view of society and in how we judge books by its cover or whatever else you can boil it down to being kind of cliche i guess Mm -hmm. but it, it works really well and it's an interesting turn because i did not the first time i read it i did not see this story going the way it did in relation to killer croc and i was pleased with it it was a nice little you know again subverting expectations yep and batman's first encounter with him in the sewers is what we'd expect so that's definitely right in line of he's investigating in the sewer crocodile jumps up out of the water and throws him that you know they they battle back and forth a little bit but then classic gary frank with those eyes he's just killer croc shows some like is passionate and it's just kind of like stop stop and leave me alone and then i mean he grabs batman by the neck or by the throat but you know you can still see it in his eyes of kind of like oh shit this thing talks and then he's just like you just see the look in his face as he's like please whoever you are just leave me alone and that was like a total curveball of like, wait, what? And we see, and then we hear this story of, of him, of, you know, he was a part of Haley's circus that his mom gave him up and they like, they filed down his teeth. And that's all like, that's almost like the bone breaking from volume one for me. I can almost feel that of like a metal filing of teeth. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you just, you feel for this guy. And from that point on, he's not a villain like he's an ally yeah in a refugee right like he is someone who is is seeking shelter away from this life uh that's been forced upon him based on you know the perception of his physical differences Mm -hmm. yeah and i i really i like that angle because i can't think of a story that's had that that version of killer croc no, it, it's interesting because al- although, you know, the, the characteristics are a lot different, it sort of reminded me of Harold when Harold was spending time in the Batcave, right? Like, yeah. here's this deformed creature and... Peter um, Vera's boy right there, Harold. I know, it always makes me think <laughs> of uh, it, But it's this, you know, but Batman finds value and in, in in an ally of sorts, you know, in in that character that, you know based on appearances should be relegated to strictly villain territory. Mm-hmm. That's excellent synopsis there. <laughs> Why, thank you. Thank you. Batman runs into Killer Croc because he is investigating the man that we've been excited for since the last page of volume one, the Riddler. No boy. The oh Riddler. Boy. He is only the Riddler. Uh, did you have any expectations on the version of this character when we got that reveal on that full page at the end of the first book? No, I mean, not in particular. In fact, the reveal on at the end of volume one felt like it was going to be kind of on the nose, to mm-hmm. be honest. You know, you didn't see a lot. 
and you could t- you could tell it was a little bit uh, I don't know everything's a bit grimy. So the the kind of office or workstation he was in kind of felt like it kind of you know carried that same feel. Yeah. But um, I, I I really thought, and they should know better. I'm like, oh, they're they're gonna kind of just do a straightforward Riddler. <laughs> And it's not that they didn't, you know, Mike Tyson-esque facial tattoos aside, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a pretty, he's recognizable as the Riddler, right? And yeah. um, there's some key differences that I'm like, okay, well, that's different. Um, just, he, you know, he's willing to cheat at the riddles, which you don't always see. Um, but the fact that he had his own sort of mission to go along with it, I think those are, I actually just said this online someplace the other day that I thought it was either you or our buddy Ryan Haas that had, had, and then someone said they thought maybe it was Justin Kowalski. Like the best Riddler stories are when, or when Riddler is trying to reveal something, some, some characteristic of Gotham or, you know, the goings on with everybody involved in the city. There's some greater truth that Batman isn't aware of. And there's, there's, you know, a good bit of that here. It's a bit more pointed and nefarious and, uh, um, vindictively homicidal than than maybe that other aspect would be, but that's that's common to the character. So I thought it was um, true enough to what we were used to, with enough of uh, Earth One flavor to it that I was really pleased. It wasn't so far away from what I would expect, but I thought it might be just a bit more traditional, to be honest. The only, I guess, expectation I had in my head, which is ridiculous, because you know he was at the very end of the last book but there was something about it that made me think oh this riddler is going to be in pursuit of finding out the real identity of batman yeah me too same that that like, was kind that of going to be his mission yeah yeah that was going to be the only thing and instead that was not it i he from this book and how it plays out i think he could care less who it is that, that's not his mission he's got an ulterior motive here in which i think that that's I was excited at the prospect of there being, I was really glad that the, the end of the book, I mean, I'd have been excited either way. If it would have been a Joker tease, I'd have been excited, whatever. But I was really excited that it was Riddler because I want more Riddler stories. And I like, I think the character was kind of like true to form in, in this book. Uh, definitely just obviously number one by the Riddles. Um, you know, his color was green um he had question marks yeah but that was a little bit of a wild card as we come to see that he he doesn't necessarily respect the rules of a riddle he he set the rules of the game and then he changed the rules or disobeyed the rules and that to me i don't know like I can kind of lean both ways. Like one could be like, oh, that's not what the Riddler does. The Riddler respects the rules. When he's outsmarted by Batman, it pisses him off because he was out, somebody was smarter than him. And that, that doesn't mean that like, he still respects the game in a sense. And here it's like, but this is a villain. Like, why do you think that a villain would respect rules? Like they don't, they're the villain. So who gives a shit if he doesn't, Oh, you answered correctly. I don't care. Boom. You know, uh, it worked. It worked for me. And I liked that we didn't have the Riddler is not meant to go hand to hand combat with Batman ever, really, because it's just, it's no contest. The 
the battle, the equal battle is by brains, not brawn. And so they, I like that they don't even have a face to face until really quick at the end. Yeah, I think I think that works well, and I, I agree with you. I think it's silly when in some stories every Batman villain is suddenly like an ultra skilled, you know, martial artist. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad that didn't show up uh, really in this. Um, in the way I thought through it, so you know, speaking about his willingness to cheat when it comes to the riddles. This was, um, it's sort of more of a motif than an obsession, right? He's not necessarily obsessed with riddles itself, but um, it's the motif that he uses to go after his mission. And mm -hmm. I think this Riddler boils down, and, and most good Riddlers do, but boils down to ego. And this Riddler is sort of, um, has a very inflated sense of self-worth, mm -hmm his mission, what he's trying to accomplish. The riddles are a means to the end, but his desire to accomplish the end overrides any sort of like fixation that he might have around staying true to the game. So if you have someone in the Riddler that a lot of times is defined by um, his own ego or the view of his intelligence and being insulted or offended or, um, you know, uh, scared that there's another person out there that isn't is as intelligent at, as he is and take that to say what he really is is fixated on himself and his own interests and his own desires mm -hmm. and if that becomes the character defining trait then someone willing to um to like throw away the facade of being tied to the honor of the game just to get after what they want makes sense it's not the Riddler as traditional as we might always see, but it fits in with sort of the, the, psycho, the, the psychology behind the character that we always see. Yeah, and I think it's actually kind of genius. His, his plan all along, it's like, so the first one was uh, dropping an elevator, 39 stories, that had four people in it. He took out four people when he really only needed to have one taken out. And then on the train, he took out a bunch of people when he really only needed one taken out. It's like, as Bruce finds out, he's taken out a lot to cover up that he's only actually singling out one. Yeah. And, and again, that's a like, good, like, that's an interesting, like, motive or plan that he's, that he's carrying out there. Well, and if you think about it too, it's like, he's a sociopath. Yeah. You know, there's no guilt or remorse in the fact that he's taking out innocence. That doesn't matter to him. You know, it's, it's uh, collateral damage that he's not really interested in. The fact is, like, he just wants to do the thing that he wants to do. And what he wants to do is take out these individuals. And if he has to kill a bunch of people, you know, to kind of muddy the waters on that, well, mm -hmm. you know, bygones. And I'm, I think I'm still a little confused. His... It was just for him to get money? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of does devolve down into like, and I want money a bit. Like, the, I was waiting for there to be more of a personal vendetta. Yeah. Which, that's fine that there wasn't, but I think that makes it, uh, just like the water, a little muddy for me. And they traced... Uh, you know, he sets up Bruce Wayne 
to you know to move the plot ahead but it sets up bruce wayne as like the he, this account is owned by bruce wayne and i'm kind of like missing the steps like the three steps before that revelation of like he's taken out these people whose accounts were emptied the day that they died into this account that's owned by bruce wayne yeah and that's why they're now like, wait, Bruce Wayne, you're taking on these people's money. So you're the Riddler. Yeah, it gets a little bit, uh, you know, the the image that comes to mind is the the gift from It's Always uh, Sunny in Philadelphia with Charlie and the String Theory. <laughs> yeah. You know, it gets, it, gets, it gets a little bit like that. Isn't that, isn't that the male? Yes. The male, Carol, Carol. <laughs> it's such a great um, show. Yeah, and I, I find it interesting here also that we do not get his name. Yeah, no, it, and it was funny because I was wondering, like the first time I read it, I remember, and then when I you know revisited it when I knew we were going to record, you know, for whatever, however many times that was, I looked again because I couldn't quite remember. I'm like, was this Edward Nigma? Because I think that would play in a bit more to this, like not necessarily being totally fixated and um obsessed with the rules of a riddle Mm -hmm. as opposed to just like using this riddle motif to to enact his his crime right yeah and then i was because i I remember thinking like i wonder if this was a nashton it was this edward nashton uh and it and it wasn't that either it's just nothing just just some dude Mm -hmm. some guy with a mike tyson tattoo on his face (laughs) yeah man that was a choice so i I do, I guess he's the rogues villain in this, but there, like I said, there's a lot that goes on here. He does have the final um, battle, if you will, against the hero, but the scene leading up to that is perhaps the most memorable to me with Alfred in jail. Like all the characters end up in jail. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder when I read them, like, it it felt like John said, I know this scene that I'm going to write Mm -hmm. and it takes place in the jail and it's going to be awesome. How do I move the chess pieces around (laughs) the board to get to this point? Got to get them there. And like, he does it well. Like I, I, yeah, it works in rereading it. I didn't have any like, okay, well this is forced. No, it, it just like it does make sense on how alfred ended up in there and the well yeah he 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 punched and 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 uh and beat a (laughs) bunch of police officers with his cane so yeah you're gonna go to jail for that's that's gonna do it man and uh you didn't stop at one no pretty sure we're going to the clink bro but i think it's interesting that the this upgraded suit that he had been alluding to to bruce throughout the whole book of you need to upgrade your suit you need to upgrade your suit um Oh, I forget. I should have written it down. Whatever the quote is of, is it like, you know what? It, it's. I don't think he's talking about a gun. He's talking about a suit. If I need gear, uh, I'll have to look it up. But it's almost like Bruce saying of like, oh, if I carry a gun, well, then I'm the kind of guy who needs a gun to be like to win a battle or something. You know, it's along those lines. I can't remember exactly what he says. Um, but I like in the in the jail when they're there oh the, the Lucius suit I'm sorry I'm all over the place now 
the suit we've been getting hinted at that he needs a new suit. But we have a new suit now. It is in a briefcase. We don't know what it looks like, but we know that briefcase is opening up. Now, before we talk about this, I told you, Gary, I'm all over the place now. Now I'm going all Carol, Carol. <laughs> There's a lot of strings to keep track of. Just like in volume one, all of a sudden he went from black prints on his suit to a yellow oval here yellow oval switches up to become a different yellow shape he changes the symbol like i don't know how when he goes down to the sewer that might be when he has a different like a different symbol it's kind of shield-esque it's almost like a uh it's like a cut off superman s shield almost in some in some panels and it gets it that's that kind of made me laugh just because it's like oh this is just like volume one where it's switched like he's seen leaving that apartment with that with that woman whose kids napping uh he's got the classic yellow oval you go two pages he's back with alfred at wayne manor and he's got a different he's got the new symbol no mentions that's just how it is just and I'm like, these clothes were dirty, man. I had to change. That's exactly how the last. Okay, okay. Um, but we know we have another suit that's coming now. The jail, the jailhouse rock. Finally getting there after my little detours, but this was we'd been teased with Maroney earlier on in the story by us having Harvey Dent. I don't know if I expected that to happen in this book or not but i think the scene is creepy the riddler is uh it's part of his plan he's on he unlocks uh the all the cells and maroney is free and now it's a it's a bit of a of a fight and it's bloody some bones are breaking and then here comes the batman in his bat suit kicking ass except maroney and some goons get to Harvey Dent. And I remember the shocker a little bit of the panel when Harvey got stabbed in the stomach. Cause I was like, Oh, are they not going to do two face? Like, did he just get gutted? But then John's is like, no man, this is going to be, this is going to be a little bit messed up and smashes a Molotov cocktail in Harvey's face. Yeah, right on his face, man. Holy in the hell. Face. Yeah. <laughs> Holy hell. Like, what's worse, that or the birthday boy? I don't know, because that's that's brutal. And Harvey, at that point, I was like, oh, okay, this is how Two-Face is born. But then he, he mutters to Jessica, don't let me die. And then, like, Harvey's dead. Yeah. But in the twist... She's crying and holding his burnt face up against her face. And then it's like, holy shit, really? In which we, and they, they're really smart and they didn't show it affecting her face. That's kind of been shielded from us this whole time. And then we see when she's in the hospital at the end, she's got the bandages right. on, on her face to where it's like, holy, this is she's two-faced they are totally swapping in which this is what also we should have picked up on and it's such like it's a small thing 
but it was after I'd read it a few times. It's Harvey's, the right side of Harvey's face gets burnt here. Two-Face's left side is what is usually messed up. Yeah, and when and, she holds him to her, she yes. holds the left side of her face against the right side of his. And I remember when that, like, ding, ding, in my head, I was like, holy shit! You know, like one of those. It's a small thing, but it's also like, that's cool. I like that twist. I like everything about it, which is bad because they're talking about two lives being ruined. (laughs) But as far as like for storytelling, the shock value, but it's not just for shock value. It's like, I, I don't know. I just think that is a, that's a good scene. That's a good twist. And that's definitely planting the seeds for, volume three which we never knew was coming and now we know is coming and the synopsis of that version is like oh no we're picking up where the dents left off right love it i love it i think it's so good yeah i think you know one of the things that you know happens really really pretty well throughout the book is um things are similar enough that if you've are very familiar and let's let's assume that 99% of the people who are going to pick this up 99.9 uh are very familiar with the existing characters and the existing classical takes on them mm-hmm. it's there um you can see the twist and it's intentional that you see the twist it's it's always it's always seemed to me that like you know Johns is writing this new take for an audience that's clearly familiar with the old takes And he gets a lot of um, value out of, again, knowing that there's expectations and then subverting them in some ways while not getting too far away from, you know, the core character elements. And this, this uh, Jessica slash Harvey, when Harvey's, you know, dying words are don't let me die. um, You know, it's, you know, it's clearly, you know, this, this man is dying. He doesn't want to die but it also is playing the seeds of, you know, when, when Jessica starts to exhibit like, you know, trauma and the psychological effects of trauma, is she hanging on to Harvey's life in some way and sort of like becoming herself, you know, his personality and taking that upon herself as a way to keep him from dying and fulfill that last wish. And I think definitely when she's in the hospital with Bruce, that's like, that's where you see oh it. yeah <laughs> oh yeah yep this is gonna get weird yep. yep oh brucey boy i do like in the in the last chase scene between riddler and uh batman that he's that they're in laundry tr- laundry trucks con and drum laundry <laughs> yeah, a little word play uh, <laughs> uh, that's good that's good i like the moment as you know uh Killer Croc comes out and slashes Riddler's back and takes a bullet for it. <laughs> what a friend. Thanks, like, Croc. Yeah, thanks. I like where it ends up, though, with that of Croc is back at Wayne Manor. Alfred doesn't really know what to do with him, but <laughs> that's exciting to me of like, oh, cool. What are they going to do with that? You know, the next volume, which we're only like four months away from. So. I know the clock's ticking, man. There we go. Um, I don't know if I have another. Oh, <laughs> what was I thinking? 
A woman in the apartment. Oh yeah, I was gonna say, man, woman in the apartment a with woman the kids sleeping. In the apartment, yes, her little kids sleeping. Now it's funny. Every good story uh, should have, or for a good story, everything should mean something. I've learned that such a long time ago. I didn't like discover of like, I'm some smarty pants. I think it was in a college course of like every good story and every good story, everything means something. There's not a wasted line. There's not a wasted uh, action scene or this, whatever. Everything means something. Okay. So knowing that, why did I just not even think twice about this woman in an apartment? You know, I did, I did. And I did not think she was going to be Selena or Catwoman. I did not think that. I thought I'm like, oh, who's this going to be? Is this going to be like a romantic interest? Who could the kid be? You know, yeah. Uh, where is this going to go? Could this be somebody? Is this like a Vicky Vale or something? You know, I don't know. Yeah. But I was not thinking Selena. So when you get to the end of the book, and um, I think there's, you know, he's talking about uh, sending, buying the flowers, I think, or something, and. Um, it's like, oh, wait a minute. The owner was gone. Wait, burglary. Like, what? And then you see the mask. I'm like, There's a cat. Oh, There's a cat. There's a mask. What? Yep. And I'm like, I'm such a dummy. Yeah. How did, how did I not figure this out immediately? Like, you can't, and then, you know, for me, I went back and read. I'm like, oh, you know what? I think it's just subtle enough that you shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, it seems a bit convenient that no one else was in the apartment and the kid kept sleeping. And, you know, then you start to look at the character design. You're like, Oh yeah, that could totally be a Selena. But it it was, it, it was a, it was a pleasant surprise for me when, when I got to those last couple pages, the first time I read through for sure. It was very exciting. And I think what's great is in the next story, it's like John's has all these toys to play with now of he's established the relationship that Bruce has with Alfred, with Killer Croc, with Jessica Dent, Gordon's relationships there in the precinct. Now that he's been promoted, his relationship with, uh, with Bullock, since Bullock now is going to have to have a new partner, what are they going to do with that? Um, But then also on like the villain level of what's going to happen with Jessica Dent. And also now we know Catwoman's coming. Right. And at some point, at some point, they aren't going to be able to resist the urge to get Joker in here. Right. So it's sort of like, I mean, that's the one, you know, left out in the wings waiting to get pulled on for, for his time in the spotlight. And maybe it doesn't happen in volume three, but like knowing that that's out there and you're not going to have this take on Batman without the Joker present. I'd be very surprised anyway. No, he's got to do, that's got to be his main event. I expect this, this is going to be four or five volumes. And with, how long volume three it took to get out. Um, yeah, that 2056 might not be a joke. Yeah. Like for whatever joke. reason, whatever reason, but there was an interview with John's a long time ago that like they had it plotted out on like, he has an end game. He knows where he wants it to go. And I mean, you can't predict, you know, the, you can't predict comics as far as, the status quo, what's going to stay, what's going to leave, et cetera. So I hope sooner rather than later so that they can finish the vision uh, so they can just finish it. And then we get the full, the whole story because I do, I just, I feel like 
Joker's got to be coming somehow. And I think he's got good plans with that. And I can't like, oh, Gary Frank, give me some Joker drawings here. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and start thinking about wrapping this up here, Garrett Grev. You know, you know how I roll. Oh, yes. I got some questions for you. Okay, let's hear them. Question number one. What is your favorite part of Batman Earth One Volume Two? You know, we already talked about it, so it's not like it's not super interesting. Okay. But I really thought the opening was so great. Um, you know, just sort of like the companion piece to the opening of volume one mm-hmm. and whether or not John's had it in mind when he wrote the first one or not, like it's just good storytelling because it is such a clear introduction to the reader about where you are with this character. And like, since we last saw him, uh, you know, what's changed, what's going on. Um, just, you know, clear, easy to comprehend. And it was so nice to see this Batman become more of the Batman we're used to. Um, you know, and I'd say since we already talked about that, a, a close second uh, kind of passage that I really enjoyed um, was when um, Batman is on the uh, crime scene with Gordon. And Gordon's like, you're not much a detective, are you? He's like stepping on evidence. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. uh, no, are, are you good at it? Could you teach me? Like, you know, it's, if we have a, uh, you know, and not a fully formed Batman um, and you see the progression from you know volume one to volume two where now he's got more of his wits about him from his fighting technique and you know his his ability to be in pursuit of of you know the thugs he's going after like that's already come along I thought it was uh, in a a nice uh, acknowledgement that this is still a Batman in development with things to learn and kind of a hint where I would expect in, in volume three, we see him doing some detective work and showing those skills that he's developed. So I thought that was, you know, a nice bit of storytelling as well. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Good choice. I got to say, mine's the whole jailhouse rock. Oh, yeah. It's the culmination of everything. It's it's dramatic um, and it plants some seeds for, for the next the next chapter of this story. I just like, it's it's messed up that it's like, the worst things happen to people and i'm like that's my favorite part i like it when bad things happen to people in stories well it's big and it is loud and it's action-packed and it is it's it's when you get all of your key characters in the same location for like the final event mm-hmm. that's just fun yeah uh how about a favorite panel you know the i think there's a lot of great ones. Cause again, it's Gary Frank, but mm-hmm. um, there's a double page spread of croc bursting out of the water, yeah. surprising Batman. He's got his glow sticks that he's using to investigate the, the dark sewers. Just left a rave. <laughs> yeah. It just left a rave, but they're on the right side of the double page spread and they are the lighting for everything that's to the left of them. So you have Batman sort of like, you know, a quarter in shadows, Crocs just bursting out, looking scary as hell, like he's about to take a chomp out of Batman's arm. Yeah. And you see just like pure surprise and shock and a bit of horror in Batman's face. It's just such a well-done illustration. It would be an excellent poster to get framed and put on a wall someplace. It is uh, lovely. And that is definitely, that was in the running for me. But mine actually comes just a little bit later where he finds Riddler's hideout. Oh yeah. Because that's such a, 
could you imagine if that's like a still that's released from Matt Reeves for the Batman? Totally. It's super like seven ask David yes. Fincher, right? Like, and it can just, I think I've, it, I annoyingly say this all the time when it comes to this part of each episode, but if that's released to me, like my mind just goes everywhere as far as like, that's so cool looking. It could, this could have happened before it. This could be happening after it. Oh, this it creates a mood and it's mysterious. And like, I just images that can get my mind creating a story around it that those have ended up becoming my favorite kinds of panels. And I think this is one that's just like, yeah, that is cool looking. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's so kind of the iconography that's employed here uh, with the, the question marks on the monitor screens, you know, the bat symbols and silhouetted pictures of Batman pinned up on the wall. Like it's, it's this, um, this sense of, you know, dread and surprise and just overall creepiness to know that someone's been watching you and has been fixated on you mm -hmm. and, you know, Batman, you know, front lit, but in shadow from the monitors, just sort of looking up in this still image. He doesn't look super imposing. Um, it's clearly Batman, but it, it's not this, um, you know, sort of heroic pose. It's, it's, a, it's a man standing there, like taking it all in and wondering what the hell, <laughs> you know, it's great. It's a great, great, great page. I like it a lot. And I also found that what I was talking about, it's when, so when Batman puts on the, the suit and it's got the new symbol on it, he says to Alfred, do you know what body armor says about a guy? It says he needs body armor. Yeah. So that's what I was trying. Like I knew, yeah. I'm like, I knew it's in here. And I said something stupid earlier that anybody listens like, that's not what he said in the story. <laughs> Keep listening. We get yeah. there. I swear. I get there. Okay. I take the scenic route, but I still end up at the right destination. So Garrett, uh, what are your final thoughts on Batman Earth One Volume 2? So I, um, you know, I had read this maybe a couple months ago, you know, the holidays got busy, but I'm like, I need to reread this because I know I'm going to record with Laura at some point. And, um, you know, I, I said a tweet out there. I'm like, not only is this a great book, it improves upon the first volume builds on it and grows on it. It's a thing that's better than what came before it without doing something, you know, markedly different. Um, it takes advantage of the fact that volume one had to do a lot of heavy lifting in a lot of ways. And our expectations around the character have been established around what's different and what's similar. And it kind of continues in that same approach where you don't have to sort of mentally adjust or you're not shocked, right? Like it's not so much um, pulling the, the rug out from under you as just like, Ooh, let me follow where this kind of thread goes and, and what John's has up his sleeve with this. Mm -hmm. So I think in my mind, it's superior to volume one. It's more fun. Um, and I have a lot of fun because watching Batman develop into Batman is fun because, you know, eventually he needs to be you know, the world's greatest detective and the most skilled martial artist on the planet. Maybe, you know, he probably doesn't actually have to be, but something that resembles that more um, is cool to see. I think it, it handled uh, multiple characters really, really well. You know, to your point, there's a ton going on here, but I don't feel like, you know, aside from having um, 
you know, Jessica and Harvey be a bit one dimensional when you add it together, they're at least two dimensional. Right. So I think that's, that's, that was, that was really pretty slick. Um, I just really enjoy it. I think it's, it's a more fun read. Uh, to me, I sort of enjoy revisiting it more than I, than I enjoy revisiting volume one. And it's just great comic book storytelling and, and Gary Frank, you know, I mean, he's Gary Frank. I don't need to go on about that. You, if you're listening to this, you know, Gary Frank's art, that the dude's just flat out fantastic. Well said. I think this is a definite step up from the last volume. I think John's uh, found his stride. Not that he didn't have it in the last one, but he was able to build on what came before. We knew some of these characters. He got to explore them a little more, uh, evolve some of them in their relationships, as well as sprinkle some seeds for volume three, which we're only a few months away from. So I can't wait for that. I think this is an exceptional Batman book. It's not a huge time commitment. So Yet again, it's another one that is revisited often by me. And I just really, 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 really like this story. I think it's a, it's an, it's an A, it's an A from me. So yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't give a letter grade, but it's a, it's an A as well. I never give letter grades, but I decided this was appropriate. He got an A. Way to go, Jeff. You got an A. Good job. Bravo. Uh, Garrett, thank you for coming back to talk some more Batman and specifically Batman and Earth One. I, I appreciate you, you coming aboard. Well, it's always a pleasure. I am in my never-ending quest to uh, have more appearances than Peter, as we <laughs> said. So, it, you know, it, it is a notch on the belt and a, a cut mark on my skin. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but it is just a pleasure. You know, I, I love these stories. I love talking about these stories. I love talking about them with you. So, you know, I appreciate the invitation. I'm always happy to join. Uh, do you have anything to plug? Where can people follow you? The short uh, version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, go ahead and um, you can uh, get more of me over on the Batman on Film podcast. I've recently taken over um, a larger role with that and I'm uh, hosting episodes now. So that is a blast. You know, you've been on there with me. Yep. Uh, so, you know, uh, subscribe to, to that on your favorite podcast provider and, and listen in. Um, I have uh, comic book reviews and movie reviews up over at the Batman on film website. You can head over there at batmanonfilm.com. If you just want to check out my author page, you can go into about BOF and then click on the teams. I'm, I'm listed there and you can follow me uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at one of two choices, <laughs> one of two choices. You can follow me at Garrett Wado. That is G A R R E T W A T O. And depending when you're listening, uh, you could also follow me at Free Garrett Wado, F-R-E-E-G-A-R-R-E-T-W-A-T-O. I don't need to get into that, but you can read the pinned tweet there and it will fill you in. That's right. It's quite a story. It's a dramatic it tale. It yeah, takes you places you don't expect to go. Okay. Somebody it's could the, write a comic. Maybe it could be a comic book one day. It's, it's like the Jessica Dent of Twitter. Okay. <laughs> you, sure. just, you don't yeah. see it coming and then your face what? is on fire. There's a turn. It's crazy. Yeah. So from the uh, Lucifer race, the Lucifer race will light you on fire. (laughs) If you aren't already, uh, follow the Batman book club on Twitter and Instagram. It's at the Batman BC. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lauer underscore Ryan Lauer spelled like lower. Feel free to write into the Batman book club at the Batman BC at gmail.com for questions or a comment, maybe even a concern or two. 
And maybe we'll start reading some of those questions on episodes or do another Q&A. Who knows? And lastly, if you would ever be so kind, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. The link to that page is in the description of this episode. The more reviews we get, the more we spread the word. And as we all know, that word is panic. So for Garrett Grev, I am Ryan Lauer. And until next time, read more Batman comics. Mm-hmm.